0: Well, we're kind of coming close to the end of our series, The Big Questions of Life. Uh, there will be four more uh, sermons after this, and then that will be uh, time for a new series. And we're talking about frequently asked questions in the Christian life, the big questions of the Christian life, things you just have to know. If you want to get your GED in Christianity, you really have to know these things. And so today, the big question, what does it look like for grace and truth to be combined in one personality. And this is really a big deal. Grace and truth welded together, married together in one personality. What does that look like and how can we do it? We start with this, that God is distinguished by his attachment to both truth and grace. These are distinctives of God. And we see this, for example, in 1 John 4, 8 and 16, where it says simply, God is love. I mean, so it's one thing to say that God loves. But if you say he is love, then you're really talking about his personality, his essence, who he just is. And similarly, we have Jesus saying, I am the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth. So Jesus doesn't just speak truth or do truth. He is the truth. So God is very attached to both grace and love. By the way, uh, grace, love, mercy, loving kindness, These are all ways of saying the same thing. These are synonymous or they have nuances. So when I say grace, love, mercy, long-suffering, just count all of that as one category. And this is always tied with truth. And so, for example, John 1, 14, speaking about Jesus says, the word was made flesh and he dwelled among us and we saw it. We saw his glory, his radiance. The glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. So, see, Jesus has, has wedded together grace and truth. He is, he is the, the perfect example of how grace and truth can be joined together, combined, in one personality. And then the same thing in verse 17. The law was given by Moses, and that was grand, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So, love and truth welded together in one personality. Psalm 85.10, mercy and truth have met together. I've always thought that was so colorful. Mercy and truth have met together. Mercy is like love. Love and truth joined together. And then the parallel to that, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. I just think that's so great. In one personality, what if righteousness and peace, what if mercy and truth could be combined in one personality? What if they kiss? What if they embrace? What if they become the same person? Truth and grace. That's what we're looking for. In the 100th Psalm, verse 5, the Lord is good. His mercy, that's like love, His mercy is everlasting and His truth endures to all generations. So it just never goes away. His mercy and His truth welded together in the personality of God. I'm not going to show you all of these, but I just want you to see that I have 13 other favorite passages along these lines where grace and truth are wedded together in one personality. And that's a big deal in Scripture. It's not a small deal. It's a big deal, which is why we call this the Big Questions of the Christian Life Series. This is a really big deal. Understand that God's will for you is that you would have grace and truth entangled, uh, combined in your personality. That's what God wants for you, because this is the way God's personality is. Uh, So today we're going to look at three big ideas. Truth. uh, What does it mean to have truth, really? We're talking about journeying on a fixed compass heading. Uh, You have to find your true north and stay with it on a fixed compass heading. And the great destination is God's wonderful plan for your life. Love. This is hoping that all people of goodwill all around the world would join you on your journey. And especially those that you have a warm attachment to. Oh, you want so much that they would join you on this journey to the great destination of God's wonderful plan for your life. And then we want to talk about combining these in one personality. Full of grace and truth. That's what they said Jesus was. Full of grace and truth. And so we're talking about never quarreling. And we're talking about. Always appreciating the other good options on this great destination uh, with our true north that other people might have. And they do have other suggestions. Uh, when we come to a mountain, we might choose to climb the mountain. We might choose to travel through the mountain. We might choose to go around the mountain. In any case, these are all good options as long as you keep your true north, right? Okay, so this is about truth. A fixed compass heading. We're going to go on this path, sort of like Pilgrim's Progress. You're on this path to the celestial city and you can't let anybody knock you off your path. You stay on the path no matter what happens. That's where you're going. And you see the importance of this in Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter in at the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because the gate is narrow. The path is an arrow which leads to life, and few there are who find it. So you see, you're on this, this compass heading, your true north, and you can't let anybody knock you off because there are a lot of people who disagree with you. So you're on a path. Ephesians 6:11 reminds us that in our spiritual battles, you know, that we have to take on the whole armor of God, specifically, as you see in the highlights there, specifically to stand against the deceptions of the devil. So it's so easy to get knocked off the true north path. We have to stay on our compass heading and don't get knocked off. And we see that we are going to be wrestling against not just humans, but principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, and they're going to knock us off our path if they can. And so one of the things we're going to do is take the whole armor of God and especially in the beginning of that stand, therefore, having your hips gird about, uh, wrapped about with truth. We need truth. Otherwise, in the spiritual warfare, we lose. So first and foremost, truth. 2 Corinthians 10.3 also talks about this. It says in this text that we are, are not warring after the flesh. This is not just uh, a human struggle. But we have weapons that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Fortresses are strongholds. And we're going to be casting down imaginations. There are so many crazy ideas against the truth. We'll be casting these down. And the hope is that we're going to bring every thought that we have, and as many of our loved ones as well, every thought into captivity to the truth of Jesus Christ. Remember that when it comes to truth, only God gets to decide what's true. Only he and his enemies resent that very much. If you're going to be an ambassador for Christ and you're going to tell people what is true according to God, they might resent you as well. There might be some reproach to bear for that, but I hope you'll be braced for that. And God's truth really is more a matter of his personality than just his decision. It's not like God just one day decided, I don't really like for people to curse others. To damn them to hell to say Go to hell i don 't like people to do that. you think, well, God must have decided that one day, but it wasn 't so much what God decided one day as who he is, which just bubbles out of him because he is not willing that any should perish it 's just who he is i didn 't want people to go to hell, and so when a human being runs around saying, I wish you would go to hell and I wish you would go to hell. God doesn't like that. And it's not like he just decided one day that he was going to make that a rule. It just sort of bubbles out from his personality. I don't like that. And so God's the one who gets to decide what's true and what's not. God is, in fact, the very definition of truth. Whatever he prefers is true. Whatever bubbles out from him is true. Whatever makes him uneasy, mm, that doesn't sit well with me. That's false. That's untrue. Similarly, whatever he designs, I want the human family to work this way. Whatever he designs is true. And whatever contradicts his design is false. That's just the way it is. It's not so much a decision he made as the essence of his personality that just bubbles out from him, springs forth from him. God is truth, as we said. Jesus claimed in John fourteen six, "I am the truth." He is the truth. He is the embodiment of truth. In First John five six, the Spirit that bears witness can't be wrong because the Spirit is truth. So we find that God is infinitely. Truthful, since he is infinite himself and truth bubbles forth out of him. He's infinitely truthful, right? Psalm 117, verse 2. The truth of the Lord endures forever. How long? Forever. He is infinitely truthful. In Psalm 33, verse 4. The word of the Lord is right and all his works are done in truth. He never does anything that is out of accordance with truth. He cannot. It's just who he is. God's truth, God's view, what bubbles forth from him is protective. And anything that is against what bubbles forth from him is destructive. So, for example, Jesus taught us, you'll know the truth and then you'll be free. See, it's protective. If it bubbles forth from God, it's good and protective and it makes you free. We find in Psalm 40, verse 11, the uh, psalmist says, do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness, by the way, you see love and truth together there, right? Let your loving kindness and let your truth continually preserve me. God's truth protects, it preserves. And anything that is false, anything that is contrary to God's truth, does not protect and does not preserve, it destroys. And we find that truth is always tangled together with love. That's just the way it is. So 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. When you love somebody, you want the truth for them. It's just what it means to love somebody. I, I want you to have the truth and to, to walk in the truth because that is going to be protective. That's going to preserve you. So truth and love are always tangled together. Third John, verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. What really makes me happy is to find out that you are walking in the truth. And that's true for every person you love. If you love them, you want the truth for them. That's how truth and love are always tangled together. And the church. People these days are really down on the church. But for all its faults, for all its many faults, the church is still the only human representation of truth in the world that is reliable. Not always reliable, but to have any reliability. So, in First Timothy three fourteen, these things I write to you, Timothy, so you will know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. So the church is the pillar and ground of truth. If you've been in our Sunday school class, we've been talking about that. The church has been the greatest force for truth in human history, nothing is like the church. It has been wonderful and amazing. And for all its flaws, it's a little bit perhaps like medical science. Sure, the doctors have made a lot of mistakes. The pharmaceutical companies have made a lot of mistakes. But where would we be without medical science? And the church has made a lot of mistakes. But where would you be without the church? It's, it's hard even to imagine. And the problem of course is that systemic deception is everywhere. So Revelation 12:9, that great dragon, the metaphor for Satan. That great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives who? The whole world. The whole world. It, we have systemic deception. So your idea is to find Your true north compass heading and stay with it. But there's deception all around you. And the ideas that come at you from every direction are deception. And Revelation 18.23, talking about the world system. By your sorceries, all the nations were deceived. So systemic untruth, systemic falsehood, systemic propaganda. This is everywhere. Well, there are many texts of scripture that warn against this systemic deception. So again, just notice in rapid succession, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, do not be deceived. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three, do not be deceived. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. Ephesians 5, 6, let no man deceive you. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, let no man deceive you by any means. 1 John 3, 7, little children, let no man deceive you. Matthew 24, verse 4, take heed that no man deceive you. 1 Corinthians three eighteen, let no man deceive himself. You see, over and over, keep your true north compass heading. Because everybody is trying to knock you off that heading. And the perfect personality is full of grace and truth. You have to have truth. All right, let's talk about love. The perfect personality is full of grace and truth. Grace is love. We say you have to love people, and by that we mean you have to be hoping that all people of goodwill and all those you have a special attachment to will join you on your true North Compass heading. Please join me, please join me. That's what we want. Uh, Have you seen the compilations on YouTube of dad saves? They're the best. A child is falling off a sofa and a dad will stick his foot out and catch the child. Um, these are some of the dad saves. Uh, the one on the left, this baby has fallen into the pool and the dad dives over the fence and rescues the baby. The one on the top right, this uh, baseball player has let go of the bat. The bat is flying toward this man's son's Face, And he sticks his hand out there and and catches the bat so it doesn't hit his son in the face. The one on the bottom uh, right hand, this is a little toddler walking. You know, he's not real good at it yet. He begins to stumble and his nose is that close from the pavement and his dad scoops him up and he doesn't touch and everybody's happy. These are dad saves. This is what we want. Full of love, grace and truth. We just want to save everybody. We don't want you to hit your nose on the pavement. We, we want to rescue you from that. As a matter of fact, do you know, it's almost universal in human beings all around the world and in every age that if a baby is falling somewhere nearby you, you will reach out and catch the baby. We are a human race of baby catchers. We just don't want to see the babies fall. Why? I don't know. It's the way God made us. And you know what? When you find your true north compass heading, you don't want anybody to fall. That's what it means to love them. I'm cheering for you. I want you to be everlastingly happy with me. One of the cutest little uh, demonstrations of this that's done in the world of uh, social sciences, The, um, the psychologists want to see if babies have compassion for you. And so what they did is they put a pan there, and the pan has a little strawberry. And this little boy, he loves the strawberries. And then the psychologist would pretend he can't reach. Oh, he's trying to reach over this wall. He can't get it. And the baby looked at him for a little while, and the baby likes the strawberries, but this guy just can't reach it. And the baby crawled over there and picked up the strawberry and handed it to him. Isn't that cute? They have compassion at 14 months old. They wanted to help the adult reach something that was out of reach. Isn't that great? Well, that's love. That's, you know, the seed of love. That little guy saying, oh, poor big guy. He can't get that strawberry. I will help him. It's the seed of love. And the perfect personality is full of grace, full of compassion, mercy. I just want to help you. Full of grace and truth. We want both. Um, Sometimes... We desperately want both. On Mother's Day, I went through some of these with you, but I just want to remind you, the perfect personality is full of grace. And here's what that sounds like. It's all this emotional attachment. So Genesis 44:30, talking about Jacob and his love for his son, Benjamin. Jacob's life is bound up in the lad's life, bound together, see, tangled together. Song of Solomon, steady me, for I am sick from love. It's love that you can feel in your midriff, you know? And Ruth 1:16: do not ask me to leave you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Don't ask me to leave you. We're all tangled together. I have my true north compass heading, and I want you to be with me. Our lives are all tangled together. Genesis forty three thirty. Joseph made haste for his bowels, you know, his innards, yearned upon his brother, and he wept there. We're all tangled together. I am cheering for you. I'm pulling for you. We're together. Acts 4.32, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. The Christian family, we just like are all together in this. Ezekiel 24.16, this is when Ezekiel's wife died. And God told Ezekiel, son of man, that was his nickname, son of man, I'm taking away from you the desire of your eyes with a stroke. I always thought that is just so sad because he loves his wife. And God says, I'm sorry, I have to take her away in a moment. Second Samuel one twenty six, David uh, lamenting the loss of his good friend Jonathan. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful. I, I wanted to be with you. I didn't want to be separated from you by death. Acts 20.37, this is when Paul is telling the people at Ephesus he doesn't think he'll be able to see them anymore. As it turns out, he did see them, but they didn't know that at the time. He says, they all wept sorely and they fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, souring most of all for the words which he spoke that they should not see his face anymore. Really? So we're going to have to live the rest of our lives without being with you, without seeing you. And they wept. Their lives are all tangled together. And that what of means to love. In Jesus' time here on earth, he went to Lazarus' funeral. When Jesus therefore saw Mary weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, He groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, behold how he loved them. The perfect personality is full of grace, full of love, full of mercy and all the nuances that go with that. And truth. And one is just as strong as the other. And it's all tangled together. Love and truth, truth and love all tangled together in one good personality. And that's what we want to talk about now. This idea of combining. Because some people have the truth part pretty good. Like, uh, you know, they're students, they're cerebral, they're academic, they know a lot. But they fail on the love side. Too bad. Because the perfect personality would have tons of both. Some people are pretty good on the love side, but they can't keep their compass heading. They just can't stay with that true north Because they're so emotionally involved and attached to others. And the others want them to quit. So we have to have both. Grace and truth. Full of both. That means we're never going to be demanding. And we're never going to be quarreling. It's like this. We have a true north compass heading. And we're not going to get off that. And we keep hoping that everybody will come with us. All people of goodwill, please come with me to the happy land where to I travel. But some won't. Uh, but we want them to. And especially, especially, there are certain people all through your life that you have just been attracted to. There are people that you have just hit it off with. There was like a chemistry. And you so want those people to be with you your spouses, your children, certain friends. I mean, it's just great when that happens, right? And it's, it does happen. There's there's this wonderful chemistry, and we do love it. And you want these people to go with you, and sometimes they don't. So if they don't want to follow your true north compass heading, what do you do? Well, what you better not do is get upset and start quarreling because that wouldn't make you Full of grace and truth. Second Timothy 2.24. As simply as it could possibly be stated, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel. If you want to be full of grace, you cannot quarrel with people. You cannot let that happen. All of us have made these mistakes in our lives and the hope of this Bible study is that going forward, we won't make those mistakes again. We cannot quarrel. You say, well, what is quarreling? We are so helped by Titus 3.10. Along these lines, here it says, a man that is a divisive person after the first and second admonition reject. The idea is we don't just keep striving. We don't quit quarreling. We don't keep quarreling. We stop when we have said something twice. The first admonition, and remember, admonition is teaching with a little bit of a barb to it. Teaching with a little bit of a warning. Like, I'm telling you this, and if you don't listen, it's going to be bad. Not because I'm going to do anything bad, but I'm I'm an ambassador for Christ. And the great judge of the universe is a fearsome judge. So I'm telling you this, and there's a little bit of a warning. In a way, you can't say no. That's an admonition. You've given the person the admonition once, and now you've clarified it. Now, in case you didn't understand, this is how things are going to be. According, not to me, really. I, I'm, you can shoot the messenger if you want to, but I'm just the messenger. I'm telling you that you kind of have to listen to this because the great judge of the universe is a fearsome judge, and this is what he says. I'm just repeating what he says. First admonition, second admonition, and you're done. You'll never bring it up again. Unless that person has some reason to think that you've changed your mind and you need to clarify again. Or if the person wishes for clarification, not for argument. He wishes for clarification, then you can bring it up again. But the idea is, you told him once, you told him twice, you're done. Just done. After that, you're quarreling. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Matthew 7, 6. Neither cast your pearls before a swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and tear you apart. So you have some pearls from God, your true north compass heading. And you want everybody to join you. You keep saying, I hope you'll join me. And you might even give them an admonition. Actually, you have to join me. It's not going to go well for you if you don't join me. And you've given them the admonition once and you've given them the admonition twice. You stop. Because if you keep casting your pearls before a swine, what's going to happen is they're going to trample your pearls. They don't want to hear it. And then they turn and they hurt you. They tear you to pieces. And that's not going to be helpful. So you find your true north. And you graciously wish and love that everybody would come with you. But you don't quarrel with them to do it. You don't demand it. Matthew 10:14. whoever will not receive you. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like we're on our, our true north compass heading and they're not listening. Right, that's it. Uh, listen to this. If they will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet, you go back to traveling. Your true north compass heading they don't have to come you're sorry you didn't want this to be the way you wanted them to join you but that's what it means to be full of grace and truth you cannot be demanding truth 100% and grace oh how I wish you would join me but i won't demand it and i won't quarrel philippians 2:14 do all things without grumblings and disputings i'm not disputing I've told you, I've told you twice as a matter of fact, and I'll never tell you again, but you should know I will weep a thousand tears for you because you're not coming with me. Romans 12:18. If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. I'm just a peacemaker. I am truly on this compass heading and I cannot get off, but I'm not demanding that you come with me, but oh, how I wish you would come with me. First Peter three ten. He that will love life. Do you want to love life? I just love life. He that will love life and see good days. Don't you want good days? Let him refrain his tongue from evil, like quarreling. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no deception. Let him turn away from evil and do good. And here it is. Let him seek peace and pursue it. I have not given you by my quarreling, by my attitude, any reason not to join me On this true north compass heading. Let that be your testimony. I am seeking peace with you. And I am pursuing it. On this true north compass heading. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. We just want to be a peacemaker. James 3, 14. If you have bitter envying and strife in your heart. Oh, what if things have gotten a little heated? Now you have some bitterness in there. Now you have strife in your heart. Even if it wasn't spoken. You have strife in your heart. You think, well... You know, it's because I'm a champion of truth. No, 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 no. If you have bitterness and strife in your heart, you didn't even speak it as in your heart. Oh, well, this wisdom is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This wisdom is earthly and sensual and devilish. It's demon-like. So we can't say, well, I have the truth, but I'm a little heated up over this thing because that guy really bugs me. Like, oh, well, yeah, that's what we call demon-like. 1 Peter 3 eight finally be all of one mind. You know, we're all going on this true north compass heading, all one mind, having compassion. We're going to love as brothers. We're going to be pitiful, full of pity for the people who decide not to go with us on our journey. And we're always going to be courteous. Courteous is... We're going to treat them like dear friends. See, that's what it is to be full of grace and truth. In Galatians 5, one. We realize that there are other good options. We come to the mountain. Shall we go over it, around it, or through it? And one believer might want to do it a little differently than we prefer. And that's okay. Galatians five one. Stand firm, therefore, in the liberty with which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You do what you want, over the mountain, around the mountain, or through the mountain, whatever you prefer, whatever you think is best. They're all good ways to maintain a compass heading. Acts 15, 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden upon you than these necessary things. Look, I'm going on this true north compass heading, and I want you to come with me. Now, I have decided that I'm going to go up the mountain and over. If you want to go around or through it, God bless you. I will lay no greater burden upon you than these necessary things. The necessary thing is please stay on the true north compass heading. But as for how you want to get around this mountain, that's up to you. There are good options that brothers have different opinions about, and it's all good. Romans fourteen three. do not let him who eats meat despise him who does not eat and do not let him who does not eat meat judge him who does not eat. God has accepted him over the mountain, around the mountain or through the mountain. God says it's okay. So I have a way that I think is best and you have a different way and God bless you. It's all good. God has accepted all three different ways. First Corinthians 13, 5. Love thinks no evil. Love believes all things. Sure, you want to go around the mountain or through the mountain or above the mountain, whatever you want. I think well of you. You see? I won't quarrel. No strife. I think well of you. It's all good. Matthew 7, 3. And why do you behold the speck that is in your brother's eye? He's trying to go through the mountain. That's a crazy idea. He should go over it like I am. Or he's going to go around the mountain. I'm afraid he's going to lose his compass heading. He should do it just like me. Well, why are you going after a speck in your brother's eye? As long as he stays on the true north compass heading, who cares? Just stay on the path. Always full of grace and truth. In rapid succession again, Ephesians 4:15. Speak the truth in love. See? Full of grace and truth. Love and truth. Speak the truth. Always the truth. Always in love. 2 Corinthians 6, 4. In all things, approving ourselves as the servants of God by love unpretended. Unhypocritical love. And by the word of truth. If you're going to be the servant of the Lord, you have to have true love and truth. Always truth. First Peter one twenty-two. Seeing you have purified your souls. Right? The perfect personality is here. Seeing you have, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Through the Spirit unto unpretended love for one another. See that you love one another with a pure heart. Fervently. That's it. Truth and love combined in one personality That's what God wants for all of us. More grace and truth texts uh, that I'm not going to read for you, but I just want you to see this is what God wishes for your personality. This is God's will for your life. Full of truth, yes, but also full of grace. Full of grace, yes, but also full of truth. Always maintain your true north compass heading and always be wonderful, always be gracious towards others great story some illustrations of what this looks like then in real life back in about the uh, 1950s two friends eugenia price and her friend ellen got back together in their 30s uh, about 35 years old and they hadn't seen each other since they graduated from high school even though they were childhood friends and high school friends But now 18 years have passed and they haven't seen each other so in their mid-30s and it turns out that they are able to get together uh, at uh, Eugenia's family home and Eugenia still lives at home. She's single. Both women are single and she still lives with her mother and this is in West Virginia. They're going to get together in August and so it's smoking hot and uh, Eugenia's mother decides that it might be nice if they have some uh, frozen ice grape juice. And Ellen... Uh, is a very petite person, and she didn't particularly want any because she wasn't hungry and she wasn't thirsty since they had just had dinner. So that's the background. Uh, Eugenia comes then with th- a tray of three glasses of iced grape juice. She says, um, oh, and what you have to know is Eugenia has become a hardened atheist. And three years earlier, Ellen has become a Christian, a devout Christian. All right, so Ellen, who weighs exactly 102 pounds, said she was still not hungry from dinner or even thirsty. And for some strange reason, this annoyed me, probably because I weighed a good bit more. Oh, come on, little saint. Take the sinner's grape juice. You can make like you're having communion, and you'll love it. And Eugenia's mother is there and says, Why, Jeannie? And then... You know, years later, looking back on this, uh, Eugenia has become a Christian and she remembers that this is what happened. And it's one of those snapshots in her mind. She said, Ellen winced as she took the blow for him, you know, capital H, for God, because she was being mocked for being a Christian. And Jeannie didn't want her to be a Christian. But of course, Ellen winced as she took the blow for Christ. And that was the first time I had seen pain on her face. Although I tried to hurt her several times, this was the first time it showed. You know what that is? That's full of grace and truth. Ellen is on a true north compass heading, and she's not going to get knocked off. Jeannie would like to knock her off and has tried to knock her off. And instead of striking back, Ellen just cringes and keeps going. That's what you have to do all through your life. As a young Marine, Chuck Swindoll, well-known pastor, Christian leader, um, was told by his commanding officer that he must attend a particular event that was going to have inappropriate entertainment, inappropriate for a Christian. And Chuck Swindoll wouldn't go. So the commanding officer brings him in. Captain Birch said to me, who do you think you are? And I answered at that moment, not very much right now. But I want you to know, Captain, why I said I could not participate. He said, talk fast. And I did. I declared my allegiance to Jesus Christ. His mouth literally dropped open. And his final words to me were, I admire you. Get out. That takes courage. Chuck Swindoll says, I'm on a true north compass heading. And I'm not going to let my commanding officer knock me off it. But notice how gracious he was. Who do you think you are? I'm a nobody. I just want you to know. See, no quarreling. You just stay on the heading. And you wish everybody would come with you. But if they're not going to come with you, then you're not hateful or bitter. Here is... um, Steve Estes, some of you will know him from Johnny Erickson Tata's biography. When she was paralyzed, her young friend Steve was one of her best friends who gave her lots of encouragement. They had Bible studies. Well, Steve Estes became a really important preacher and author and Christian leader. And he has a friend named Rick, and he tells Rick's story about Rick's marriage. Uh, Rick had the good fortune of marrying his high school sweetheart, you know, which is what everybody dreams about but then it didn't go too well. Rick graduated from Bible college to become a minister, but his wife said she wasn't cut out to be a pastor's wife. So there was always this problem. The wife had an affair with Rick's best friend. Then Rick forgave his wife, and for eight years more, he worked desperately to save his marriage. I mean, he was really wonderful in spite of all of that. He was so wonderful as a husband that Steve Estes who has access to a lot of husbands in his orbit of acquaintance, he invited Rick to come to address his church, the men in his church, on the topic of how to be an exemplary husband because he was just that good even after his wife was really not. In the end, Rick's wife did abandon him, taking all the children with her except for one son, the oldest son. And Rick had a very hard life after that. Uh, how do you expect to be a pastor if there's a divorce under your belt? Um, He had a very hard life after that, and emotionally he was really crushed by it. And you know what he did? He found his true north compass heading, and he stayed on it, and he wouldn't let anything or anyone knock him off. But you see, from start to finish, he was nothing but true love, grace, mercy, loving kindness, all in one personality. One more, and I tell you this from time to time because I think it is such a good example of grace and truth welded into one personality. This is Helen Rosevere, a famous missionary in Congo, Africa in those days. Uh, it was called Congo. And um, you just have to know she worked very, very hard. For 20 years as a missionary, she left everything familiar, home and loved ones, to go to Africa and start a clinic where there was not a clinic before that became a hospital where there had not been a hospital before. Uh, it was in the days of the late 60s, early 70s with the Simba problems, the Simba uprising. She was abducted. She was raped. She was beaten. Uh, And yet she stayed. She always worked so hard in in very difficult circumstances. Uh, Somebody needed a skin graft one time and she shaved the skin from her own leg and grafted it on this person. It's just who she was and she'd done this when nobody else would dare to do it. I mean, what could be harder than that? And then it also became a teaching hospital and a medical college and she was churning out nurses in a way that was just unspeakable. Like, who would do this? And then after 20 years of all that hard work, Everything fell apart. She said that she had always prided herself in how well everybody got along at her hospital, and then everything fell apart. She said the student body went on strike over the use of scholarship money. The executive committee of hospital management decided that I had been inflexible and unable to see another's point of view. I was annoyed and hurt. Had I no right as college principal to be trusted, my word believed. The only way out of the impasse was my resignation. It was a sad end to 20 years of hard work. I mean, that doesn't even tell the story. It's a sad end to 20 years of hard work when she left all her home and loved ones, when she was abducted and raped. I mean, it wasn't just hard work, right? It was a sad end to 20 years of hard work. God had often shown me that I was to have no rights, no right to decide or to choose for myself, No right to own or to possess. I become a vessel to contain him. A temple from which he directs his affairs. It hurt. Of course it hurt. Yet I had told the Lord that I truly wanted to love him and wanted him to take my will and my emotions to work out his purposes. So she left the field. Rejected. Unbelievable. You're kidding, right? After what she's done? You do this to her? Unbelievable. This is so wrong. But what was she in her heart, full of grace and truth? I have a true north compass heading. It has always been for God to have pleasure in my life. And if it's easier for his kingdom purposes for me to resign, rejected, then that's exactly what I'll do. And at no time then was she ungracious, full of grace and truth. This is the Christian personality, and this is the conclusion. Truth, never be tempted away from the true north of God's clear preferences for your journey. Don't let anybody knock you off course. That's what it means to be full of truth. I am on a compass heading, and I will not be knocked off this heading. Love, yearn for others' company, both during your journey. I want you to be with me now, and I want you to be with me at the destination in heaven forever. I yearn for it. My midriff, my my innards are all tangled up in this. I really, really want you to come with me. Truth and love. And then full of grace and truth. That means happily, not demandingly, not quarreling, not insisting. Happily journeying with as many others as possible. For as long as they will journey with me on this true path. And if they have a little different idea of how to stay on this true north compass heading over the mountain, through the mountain, around the mountain, whatever, I'm perfectly fine. I just want them to be with me and I want them to have the liberty to follow the Lord as I am. And that's what it means to have grace and truth welded together in one personality. This is God's will for you and me. Just before I lead you in prayer out loud, I wonder if you would like to examine your hearts and just see if in any way you've been knocked off the compass heading or perhaps you have not been a lovely person. And if anything comes to mind, I would like for you to talk to the Lord about that right now and to get back on the True North Compass heading and to get back to your set point of truly loving people and cheering for them, even the ones that might annoy you the most. So I'll give you a moment to talk to the Lord on your own. Now, Father, as we conclude this service, we have heard from your word that we should be people full of grace and truth, just like your son. And Lord, we are so flawed. We fail so often. But I hope I speak for everybody in this room right now and for those watching at home that this is what we want to be. This is what... By your grace, we intend to be for the rest of this day and tomorrow too and for every day after. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for coming today.